This is the Southern Hills Church of God, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you and guides you and builds your faith. God bless and enjoy this message. Be thankful this morning that there's another one that walks through life with us, hand in hand. God, I praise you. Lord, speak to us this morning. Amen and amen. God is good all the time. Amen, amen. First of all, this morning, I want to say thank you for being with us today. It's an honor to be here and serve such an amazing group of people, this church. If you were here with us last week, uh, we started a four-week series on Elijah, and, and we're, we're kind of uh, trying to detail his life and the way that God used him, and today's no different as we're about to dive right in to week two of this series. But if you'd help me pray real quick that the Lord would use me to deliver this word and that it would uh, uh, speak to whoever it needs to speak to today. Would you help me pray? Lord God, I thank you so much for your word, for your word, God, your word. God, that you would use me today to deliver this word for for your will, for your purpose, God, that it may not be me. I don't want people to see me. I don't want people to see Chris Holder up on this stage, God, but I want them to see you. I want them to see a servant who's willing to speak your, your, your word and speak the truth boldly. God, and I, I just pray that you would do with me this morning what you did with Moses when you told him I'll be with your mouth as you speak. God, I pray that you'd open up eyes to see. That you'd open up ears to hear and minds to know the truth of your word today. God, you know more than anybody else here that I cannot do this without you. So, God, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit speak today. It's in your gracious, most heavenly name I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. If you turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to pick up there. This is after. We're going to kind of recap here in, uh, in, in, in just a minute. But I want to start off by, by saying that, that in life, right... Life is sometimes defined by the choices that we make. And every choice that we make has a consequence, whether it be good or bad, right? And, and it's up to us. God gives us the free will to make those choices. And this morning we have a choice, but there's no doubt about it today that in today's day and age we're faced with more decisions, more choices than ever before. It's like a multiple choice culture. And, and I, I don't know if, if you were like me in school, but I used to love the multiple choice tests because the answer was always right there, right? I didn't have to look far from it. And as long as I read over my notes, as long as I kind of had an idea of what was going on, then the answer was right there. But let me tell you something. That's how life is, too, because as long as you have an idea of what's going on, did you hear me? As long as you have an idea of what's going on, the answer is always right in front of you. But see, this multiple choice culture that we live in, God gives us a choice. The choice to either go with my flesh or a choice to say that my God is God and everything that I do, I am in Him. And so the problem is today that, that, that seemingly insignificant choices can sometimes have a major life-changing impact on our life or the life of somebody else around us. Sometimes little tiny choices, things that we do, can completely change the direction of our life. I did some research on some really bad choices in history, and I came up with just a couple of them. I wanted you to uh, hear this morning. There was a guy who sold 
a small recording company to RCA Records in 1955 for $35,000. At the time, he might have thought that it was a great idea, except it included an exclusive contract with a young man nobody had ever heard of, Elvis Presley. He, pro he, pro he, 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 more, he more than likely, after the fact, would have said, bad choice. There was a guy by the name of Tom Tom Selleck, you guys all know who he is. He is an actor. Turn the role down for Indiana Jones. Bad choice. There's a guy by the name of Joe Schuster who sold the rights to Superman for 65 bucks. Bad choice. <laughs> there was a thief in Boston who attempted to steal two main live lobsters. And to get out without anybody knowing him, he stuck them down his shirt. Bad choice. Overseas, there was a bank robber who pulled out a gun and he demanded the money from the, the cashier. And then the smartness of the, of, of the person behind the booth says, I need to see your ID. So he pulled out his ID, he left it, and then left. Bad choice. There was three different prison guards who were fired from their job because during exercise, they gave the prisoners trampolines to which they jumped over the fence. And there was the high school girl that told Bill Gates, it's either me or the computer. She chose, or he chose, the computer. I bet you she said, I wish I wouldn't have made that choice. What's the key to making wise choices? If we are faced with the decision that we must make, the Bible gives us clear understanding of how we should make the choices. And in Proverbs chapter 2, it's up here. We're going to get to Elijah in just a minute. But in Proverbs chapter 2, if you go ahead and put that up, it says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just that protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. What's the Bible say? So in other words, if you want to make the right choice, it's clear. If you want to make the good choice, listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to God speaking to you in that moment. Be willing to be quiet and listen and listen to the voice that is speaking in many different ways. Whether it be through an audible voice. Whether it be through somebody else speaking in your life. Whether it be through a dream or through a, a vision or through a situation that you've come to. Let the Holy Spirit speak to us and let us be willing to hear what He has to say. So that we can make the right choices for our life. But So, so today we have a choice. And here is that choice Elijah kind of taught us. This choice, and, and he said, how long will we waver between two opinions? How long will we waver between two opinions? He said, if the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. So if you have your Bibles and you're at 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18, and, and as you're turning there, if you're already there, let me just say some, something that's so important to God above anything else in our lives. God wants to have our entire heart, our whole heart, our worship, our adoration to Him. God wants to be number one and, and have the entire heart. In fact, the, the very first of the Ten, of the ten uh, Commandments commands us to say, You shall have no other gods before me. When Jesus was questioned, what is the most important commandment? He said, above all else, we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, 
mind, and strength. God wants the entire heart, not just part of it. He doesn't want just part of your lifestyle. He wants all of your lifestyle. He doesn't want just part of you. And if you are our spiritual enemy, and you know that right there, then what do you think he could do to try to hurt God? And if I were him, this is what I would do. To try to take the hearts of the people away from the one true God. And place things uh, between them and the purpose, the, 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 the choices that we make. That, some, that sometimes you know, the, the enemy puts in our head to make the wrong choice. And gets us off from the will of God. To get away from the purpose that God has for us. And if that's, what, if that's who I am, then that's what I want to do. To take the man, the woman's heart away. From God. And see, Elijah is faced with this right here. And if you're taking notes this morning, here's kind of a key thought for, for the entire message. It's this right here, that false gods promise what only the true God can provide. False gods promise what only the true God provides. For example, money is a pretty popular God to some. What does it do? It promises what only God can provide money says that if you have enough you'll be happy and you'll be secure and that's what many people believe about money that money prom but but see it only promises what God can provide it says that if you have enough money you'll be happy it says that that but the reality is this right here once you get enough of it and somebody says well you're sick or somebody knows uh, or you they, 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 that you're sick and and they say but you you have to change your lifestyle this might happen there's no amount of money in this world that can make you feel secure in that moment there's nothing that you can do nothing that you can buy that will make you more happy than what the love of Jesus can be inside your life it doesn't matter how much money you have when you've lost somebody that you love okay there are things that are more important than that we're going to get to those but Elijah in his day, right, there were many people that were living this life of idol worship. They were worshiping and serving these false gods. In fact, if you missed last week, let me kind of recap for just a minute. Because it will help you understand as we move ahead this week. Elijah was called by God to confront a very evil king named King Ahab who was married to a wicked woman, Jezebel. Ahab was the 19th consecutive evil king. 19th consecutive evil king. King. Scripture says that he did more evil in the eyes of God than anybody before him. So he was worse than the worst of all worst. He was the all timeless worst kings that they had ever had. And, and the, the worst thing that he ever did was he continued to turn the hearts of the people away from the one true God and to the false gods of Baal and Asherah. Baal was the sun god. And Asherah was kind of uh, what they thought you know, was Abel's wife. And the people were no longer worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But instead, they were worshiping idols. The false gods promised this. If you worship me, we'll make your crops grow. And they believed it. They believed that. So what happened? So God raises up Elijah, who confronts this king and, and basically says, because of your sin... God sent me to tell you that it's not going to rain until God tells me to pray and ask for it to rain. So here's this major drought. Tons of people are dying. Their agriculture is gone. It's a horrible time. It's the worst thing that you can imagine. And God sends Elijah after he tells the king that there will be no more rain into a season of, hide, of, of, of hiding and preparation. Why? Because king, king Ahab wanted him dead. He wanted to kill him, and as a matter of fact, he said to everybody, you find him, kill him on the spot. So God takes Elijah to a place called the Kareth Ravine. And if you're here last week, the word Kareth means to cut down. 
It means a place of humbling. It's where God humbled him and made him into an even stronger man of God. God fed him by morning and by evening, by rave, by, by, by the birds who came in and dropped bread and meat. And he had water from the brook. And, but one day what happened? The brook dried up. And that thing that he had so relied on was now gone. So what did he do? He said, you need to get up. You need to move on to this place where I'm going to use a, a, woman, a, woman, a, a, a woman there to provide for you and to give you some. some and he's going to, she's going to take the oil and she's, she's going to take and she's going to make you food. And it's never going to run out. And so God provided a miracle. One day what happened? The widow's son died. And she got mad. And did you come here all the way? Because, and then what happened was, in that moment, God used Elijah. It was the season of preparation that he was in that God, that God changed who he was and made him stronger to where then he said, no, wait, wait a second. So I'm going to take him up to the upper room and I'm going to pray over his body. And what happened, the Bible says that his body got warm again and came back to life. And we, really, we, and, and we see that God was working everything for his good. Even in the seasons when he didn't understand. And he's making him into the man of God that God wants him to become. Now this last verse that we read told us that he went into hiding. But now we find out God wants him to go and confront the evil king. And here's where we pick up the story. Three years into this drought... 1 Kings chapter 18, verse number 17. We see Elijah and the king again. And scripture says, when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Now let me, let me explain this for just a minute because the Hebrew word that's translated as a troubler is also translated as snake. So what the king is really telling Elijah here in this moment is he's saying, hey, you no good low down snake. Why did you come in here and tell me there's going to be no rain? Do you see all these people that are dying? And it's all because of you, Elijah. It's all because of you. So what happens? Elijah says, I'm not taking this from you. I'm not going to let you talk to me that way. So he pops back toward the king in verse number 18. And he says, no, no, no. Listen to what he says. I have not made trouble for Israel. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Notice the plural. The Baals. It meant the combination of both Baal and Asherah. He says, I'm not the snake here. I'm not the one that just came in and just said you're not going to have any rain. The Lord God told me to come and prophesy this to you and to your nation to warn you because what you're doing is wrong. You don't serve an idol. You serve the one true God. He says, I'm not the snake here, but on the other hand, this is on you. You put the false gods ahead of the one true God. And Elijah was confronting the very popular idea that there are many gods. Now, we know the word monotheism. The theism, it means one God, but they were living in a poly, which means multiple gods. They served many gods, and Elijah came in to say, look, there's not all of these different gods that you're supposed to. There's just one God, and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to show you why. But, you know, as I was looking at this, my heart was burdened. 
Because I see a lot of Christians today in our culture who believe in the monotheism, one God, but they live a polytheistic life. They serve one true God in church, but then outside they live the way that they want to. And, and, we, we, and it might not be the gods of, of Baal and Asherah, but in reality, some of the gods that our culture serves might be more socially acceptable. I mean, let's be honest here. A lot of people, we mentioned it before, serve the false god of money. Or they worship the false god of, of material things. You know, your house, your car, it could be your image. It could be your look. It could be, and, and it could be uh, sports. I love sports. I love it. I love it. I was, I was raised playing sports. My, my, my boys play. Sports can be a great ministry tool. Sports can be a great ministry gift. But they're terrible gods. They are terrible gods. When, and it could be your career. It could be your hobby. It could even be your children. Will you say, God, how, how, how can something as so innocent as my children become a god? Because let me, let, let me, let me say this. When anything that you place more important value on than God becomes an idol. Even something as innocent as little kids. Anything that we place on a higher pedestal than that of God can become an idol. So my question to us today is what do we have in our life that we've placed ahead, ahead, ahead of him? What, what things in our life have we chosen to do that's maybe caused us more, more pain? What are the false gods that we put ahead of the one true God? And I'll tell you one that was in my life. And I'm not proud of it. It's not something that I just go and parade around and say, hey, look at me. I don't want... But I put church ahead of everything. And you, you say, Pastor, well, that's what you're supposed to do, right? You're the pastor of a church. Church is supposed to be what you do, not at the expense of the ones that I love. And we're in Ohio. We're serving at a church in Ohio. And I was spending all this time at church, late hours, late hours at work. And, and I was working there, and I was coming home when I was working, and and we had Aiden and Israel was just born. and It felt like I wasn't spending enough time with them. And, and it didn't feel that, that I was being the dad that I needed to be. I was spending all of my time at church until one day it hit me. And we're on our way to church. It's on a Wednesday night and we're all in the car. And, and um, Aiden and Israel are in the back seat. Me and Megan are in the front. We're driving about 20 minutes to where the, the, the church was. And. And Aiden from the back says, Daddy, are you coming home after church? I said, well, yeah, buddy. I, I always come home. He says, well, I, I didn't know if you, if, if you were going to your, other, to your other house. And it broke me because my son thought that the, that the church house was more important than being with him. And so I, I said something that day, and I said, look, and I'm glad you guys see this and you understand it. That my job, that, that this church, and I love it with all my heart, but it'll, it'll always be number three. Because I've got my relationship with God, number one, and I have my home at number two. And that's where it has to be, my wife and my kids. And I learned to lay that idol down that day. That my relationship with Christ above anything else has to be the most important thing that I do. And then my job as a dad, my job as a parent, because I realized really young 
in church work that if I cannot pastor my own home, then I can't pastor a church. And I had to take care of home, so I had to lay that idol down. And I'd ask you this morning, to be honest, what are some of the false gods that, we've, that we have erected in the place of the one true God, idol worship? So Elijah the prophet steps into this polytheistic culture and makes a very strong, very bold statement. And if, you, if you're taking notes, I could summarize this, this entire story with this one phrase. And he looks at them and he says, it's time to quit wavering. How long are you going to waver between two, two different opinions? Either God is God or Baal is God, but you need to choose one. Which one are you going to worship? So this is what he does. He says to the king, I want you to watch this. Verse number 19. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. 850 prophets. You realize how outnumbered he was? 850 to 1, but you just heard the song. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at, at a Jezebel's table. You see, Elijah had gotten pretty bold, but let me tell you something. When you have the power of God behind you, it's okay to be bold because you've got the confidence knowing that you've got, that he's got your back. So he got real bold in this moment. He, and he said, so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? Then he throws out this challenge. He gets in the face of everybody there and issued this decree. He said, the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And what happened? The people said nothing. So he steps in and he says, how long will you do this? If God is God, follow him. And I can guarantee you if Elijah were here today, he'd say the same thing to us. He'd say, church, quit wavering between two opinions. Either you're going to serve God and do what I've called you to do, or you're going to serve everything else of this world. And let me just tell you, everything else isn't going to bring you the joy that my God can bring you. He said, which one are you going to serve? In fact, I'm trying to think, and as I was preparing this message, how I can relate this, this concept to our life today. And, and is it okay if I get honest for just a moment? Because I really need to, I really need to get this off my chest. Here's what I, I think Elijah would say. That if you're false God, which is, which is little g, it's not big g. When you're false God, whatever it is, is God to you, then sell out to it. I'm just going to be real this morning. If it's money, then get as much money as you can. If that, don't be lukewarm about it. If that's your idol, then serve that God. If it is a material things, then go buy everything you can. Spend money, go into debt, borrow money, do whatever you can. Get all the material things that you want and just see if it makes you happy. Because at that moment, when you feel like you have everything, what you, your heart's desire is, well, I just want more. And it just never ends, it never ends, it never ends. And you see the love of Jesus is the only thing that we can have that says, I have enough. He gives me enough. What is it that you, that you serve? What is it? Is it the image? Is it your house? 
Is it sports? What is it? Are we going to continue to waver between two opinions? If God is God, then serve him. And I can feel the power of Elijah looking down on us and looking directly at our culture and at our church and at myself and saying, Chris, quit wavering. You know what I can do. You know the power that's in my hands. You know what, what peace that I can bring you. You know the power of my love that I've placed over you. So quit wavering between two opinions. If you truly believe that I am God, then serve me with all of your heart. So what did he do? He has a showdown. And he goes and he says, go get two bulls for me and one bull for you. One bull for you, one for me. And we're going to build a couple of altars and we're going to sacrifice these. And we're going to call on your God. We're going to call on my God. And we're going to see who really is God. So pick up the story and see what happens. Verse number 24 says, then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. And here's what they were thinking in that moment. Baal was the sun god. So they're thinking, oh, we've got this. You know, this is, this is that God. You know, we serve the God of this, the God of this, the God of this. And he just so happens to choose the God of fire. Which is what the challenge is, right? So we're in pretty good shape. He's saying, you're about to get smoked. Then he goes on to say in verse number 26. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. They shouted, Baal, answer us. And they were mocking what true worship is. They were mocking what worship is supposed to be. And then what's the Bible say? There was no response. No one answered. They danced around this altar that they had made. It was just this full body jumping up and down, twisting around. It was just shouts of joy. And nothing happened. And that's what they were doing. Baal, send fire. So I love this. Elijah starts to just mess with them. He starts to joke with them because he's got the confidence that my God's behind me. and He's going to take care of me. So he says at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought. <laughs> I love that part. Perhaps he's busy. We're going to get to that in a moment. Perhaps he's just traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. He's sitting there laughing at him. He's joking with him. He's messing with him. I know he is a God. Maybe he's on vacation. But here's what I think is just hilarious. While he's there. And I'm not making this up. I can't make this up. This is absolutely incredible. The very literal Hebrew translation of the word of the word of busy is to go to the bathroom. As honest as honest can, can be. So I can picture Elijah in this moment. And he's saying, oh, he must be a God. And he's snickering the whole time trying to keep a straight face. He must be on vacation. Or he must be using the restroom. You know, and this, and this is the scene that you see. He's laughing at them saying, hey, where is your God? So if you read on, what did they do? They shouted louder. Thinking that it would awaken their God. They danced. They went crazy. They started to cut themselves. Because 
Let me tell you something. The absence of a true God causes people to self-harm. The absence of a true God. That's what they were doing. They were cutting themselves. So at the end of the day, they danced, they cut themselves, nothing happened. So Elijah does this, verse number 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward. And what did he do? He prayed. I want you to notice this. He didn't dance. He didn't shout. He didn't cut himself. He didn't do anything to get God's attention. He just sat there and simply prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back. I love this word, again, which means that their hearts were there before. I want you to listen to to this. That means that their hearts were with God before. They had once served God, but gotten so far away in their beliefs, in their culture, that they missed the power of God in their lives. So what Elijah's doing, what God has told him to go do, wasn't just to go save a bunch of people, but it was to save people that were that used to be with me. And I want to go get them yet again. So he, so he says, and are turning their hearts back again. Can you see the beauty in that? Can you see the beauty in that statement? It says, answer me, Lord. Reveal yourself. Show us who you are. Reveal by fire so that we may feel the heat of your love. Show us who you are. Why? So that they can turn their hearts to God. Because they used to know you. They used to walk with you. They used to serve you. They used to worship you. But these false gods have taken your place, God. So turn their hearts back to you and as I read that I felt so much passion for our world today for all those who used to know him who called Jesus their Lord and Savior and maybe situations and circumstances and things uh, beyond our control has caused them to go a different way and live a different life and I'm saying right now like Elijah told these people God Turn their hearts back to you again. Is that not your prayer? Because it's mine. To turn their hearts back to you. So what happens? When he prays. These other ones worship till from nine or from the morning till noon. Elijah just says a simple prayer. And verse 38 tells us. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Imagine this, a lightning rod from heaven falling down, lighting this on fire, burning up the sacrifice, and literally licking up the water around it. Can you imagine being there in that moment? And those worshipers of Baal and Asherah that was calling on their God and nothing happened. Look on that going... that just happen and what's the Bible say what's it say that they said next when all the people saw this they fell prostrate and cried the Lord he is God the Lord he is God 
And what did God do? He did what he promised. He did what he said that he was going to do. And he said, Elijah, if you'll just do what I told you to do and go tell my people, I'm going to turn their hearts back to me again. But see, that's it just there. God, God, God isn't always just going to do it himself. He needs to use us to get his message across. So he needed a willing servant to go and stand up for 850 prophets of a false God. All by himself. Risking life and death. To say, my God is real. I'll, 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 I'll be honest. First time I read the story, I thought to myself, man, this is awesome. You know, why, why, why don't we see this much more today? Why doesn't God show himself like that anymore? And then at the same time, I was asking this question. I realized in such a more, more beautiful way just how God really did do that when he sent his only son. I'm a, I'm a dad. His only son sent for a purpose. So that he may teach, yes. So that he may change lives, yes. He may make the disciples to carry on the word after him, yes. But the, so that he may die for our sins. And the beautiful thing about that, that as he was crying out on that cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Understanding that they, they, the people surrounded were in sin. And even though they're the ones that crucified me, yet I will still have mercy on them and say, Father, forgive even them. Forgive even the one that put the nails in. Forgive even the one that put the crown on. Forgive even the one that stabbed me in the side. Forgive them. They don't understand. They, they don't know what they do. So God, forgive them. And that's what I see today. Yes, is God providing miracles? Yes. Yes, God still does miracles. Yes, God still heals. Yes, God still delivers. But for this group of people, what did it take? It, it took them saying nothing else. Nothing else will do. Nothing else, God. Nothing else, nothing else. No other God but you. Nothing else will do, God. I just want you. If, if Elijah were living today, I think he'd stand up behind this pulpit and say, church, stop wavering. Stop wavering with two opinions. You, if God is God, then throw everything else away and serve me. The scripture goes on. What's it say? It says, then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink for there is the sound of heavy rain. Listen to this. They were in drought. You remember what he said? He said basically, he said, you're going to wait. There's going to be a major drought. And I'm going to tell you something, King Ahab. There's not going to be any more rain until I pray and ask God for it to rain. So Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink for there's a sound. For there is the sound. There is the sound. <laughs> So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. 
you imagine at that moment he could have boasted? He could have bragged. He could have said, well, look at my God. But instead, all that emotion hit him at once. And all of that relief. And he fell down to his knees. And he prayed. He said, God, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you. I put myself out there. Thank you. Thank you. You did it. You did it. I didn't do it. You did it. You did it, God. You did it. You did it, God. You did it. And he's telling somebody this morning, stop wavering. If you get down on your knees and say, God, thank you. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Because you did it, not me. You did it. And all of that emotion hit him at once as he bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. What happened next? He said, go and look toward the sea. He told a servant and he went up and looked and there's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah's number of completion. Seven times Elijah said, go back. And the seventh time... <laughs> The servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. <laughs> oh, God. And Elijah said, go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, because there was going to come a major rain. Because what happens before the rain hits? You have to smell. You have to sound. Have you ever smelled rain? Israel was playing baseball the other night and rain was into the forecast and we were out there on the field and it was about inning number five and, and we knew storms were coming and but we knew they were coming because all of a sudden there was a breeze that came you could hear the wind begin to, the, to rattle the trees and you could smell rain he said he said there's a cloud coming up over, over the water so meanwhile the sky grew black with clouds the wind arose and a heavy rain came on and Ahab rode off to, to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came. Listen, 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 listen. Because when you get to that point in your life where you say nothing else, that all I want is you, nothing else, no other, nothing else matters except you. There's things God can do through you that man says is impossible. And here's what happened. When they rode off to Jezreel, the power of the Lord came upon Elijah. He tucked his cloak in his belt. He took off running and got there before the chariot did. Can you imagine how fast that he was running? What man says impossible, my, my God says, watch this. He said, watch this. All of that happened. Why? else nothing else matters except you God I'm laying everything else down I don't need the money I don't need the fame I don't need this I don't need my God I don't need it all I need nothing except you God quit wavering between two opinions if Baal is God then sell out to it sell out to it sell out to it but if God still pays it 
heaven upon the throne. Then my worship him. You hearing me this morning? I've got more, but I gotta stop there. All eyes closed, all heads bowed. You say, Pastor, nothing else matters to me but God. I'm laying it all down. Nothing else matters except you, God. If that's you.